Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. If you go it alone, you're going to go low and slow. It doesn't matter what it is. You're encapsulated in only what your knowledge level is and what knowledge you're willing to go out and pick up whatever education you're willing to pick up. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed and today I'm here with Chris Linger. Chris is joining us from Austin, Texas. He is a multifamily syndicator with Upplex Capital. Their current portfolio is around $300 million. They are GPs in almost 1,900 residential multifamily units. Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about your background, what you're currently focused on? Welcome. I really appreciate you having me on here, but current focus is multifamily. We're trying to find C's, B's, and A's with the way that the market has shifted. We're hunting deals, but it's tough yet still to find sellers looking to come off of it, come off of those projects. The pricing, I guess I'll say. So you're looking for multifamily deals. Tell us about your business plan. I know that you tend to syndicate the deals that you're buying. So you're bringing on investors. What is it you're doing with the properties when you acquire them? So class A properties are the really nice things that almost resort style amenities in general, those properties are in nice shape, nice condition, and just need a little cosmetic touch-up, maybe a little bit of upgrades on the interior. The Class C properties, more like the working man's home, those are usually in need of some repairs, some deferred maintenance has been done, and maybe they haven't been upgraded in 20 years. So the interior units really need some extra help, not to make them livable, but to make them a higher value to somebody coming in so that your business plan can have that much more of a return and growth in the net operating income for your properties. So those are the types of deals that we look for, value add, where we can come in and force appreciation on the property. Are you underwriting to the roughly five-year hold period then? We do. In general, our offerings are three to five-year holds. Double your money in that period of time is roughly the estimate. And right now, the cash flow is where we're a little bit more flexible. Just because, like I said, the more you pay in the price and the more you have to pay for your renovations because cost of goods went up, the 
lower the cash flow is if the interest rates aren't fixed or at today's rates if the sellers won't come off the price because the interest rates went up you have less cash flow to deal with so we're a little more flexible but we try to get at least a five and a half annual cash on cash where we can especially when you talk about cash on cash there seems to be a, a big difference between a b and c class properties whether it be by construction location or both. How does your current portfolio break down between A, B, and C? That's a good question. So in the last 16 months, we've done nine syndications. We have, I'll say, two Class Bs, two Class As, one of which even Grant Cardone had looked at. So we know that this is a nice quality asset. And then most of the rest of them are Class Cs. So five Class Cs out of those. And they're all doing well. Some of them aren't doing as wonderful because they were on a variable rate interest rate. But everything's been able to stay ahead of the interest rate as far as being cash flow positive. Chris, I'd like to draw a conclusion from what you're saying and then have you correct me if I'm wrong. The reason why more than half of your syndications are C-class is because it's easier to hit your targeted returns with class C properties than it is with class A or B. Is that a fair summary or is there more going on underneath the lid? I'll put two answers to that conclusion. One, you're right. It is a lot easier to double your money on something that you can increase the value of the property faster, which by going in and doing those upgrades, you can increase that value. On the A-class properties, it's a little harder. Like I said, it's mostly cosmetic stuff and it's already high dollar item that you paid an extra fee when you bought it, you paid a higher price at a lower cap rate. So you're not expecting as much cash flow from that property. The other side to it, and part of why we like to focus towards those Class C properties, we like to have impact not only on our investors, but we like to have impact on the community. And if we're able to raise the value of where the standards of which people are living in, then that helps us to feel better about the job that we're doing along the way too. So everybody wins. The community wins. The property wins. The investors win all the way through. And if all of that happens, then we win as syndicators as well. What areas are you focused on, Chris? The properties that we currently own, we have some in Lexington, Kentucky, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We've got three different properties in the Dallas area, two properties in Houston, and one in Austin. Those are all multifamily. And then also, because we like to be diversified, we generally don't talk about it in this way for people, but right now with the change in the shift in the markets, it's really important to diversify. So we've also got some self-storage and some mobile home parks that we're partners in on the JV side of these deals. Our partners do the day-to-day on those other asset classes. And for those, we've got some in North Carolina and Texas. When did you close on your first indication as a general partner? We actually closed two of them two days apart, and it was October of 21. October of 2021. Gotcha. So we've actually been in real estate since 2006. We started with small stuff in 17 is where we started to invest intentionally with our own portfolio of quadplexes, smaller things. I think we got as high as an eightplex. By 2020, we had 35 apartments between us, but I was still active duty. My wife was a reservist and we could have deployed. We knew about syndications. We just didn't want to be in charge of other people's money. Because if we were to deploy and not come home, not have internet access, that's not a good thing. And we hadn't really pulled in the concept of partnerships at that time. So we educated ourselves during that time. 
And in 2020, when I retired, we switched. Like we just flipped the switch, went to syndication, learned how to do it. Took us about 13 months to close our first deal. In the meantime, we sold off the majority of our personal portfolio and we invested that into other deals and other joint ventures. Chris, one last question, then I'd like to transition the conversation just a little bit. You have a breadth of multifamily property types, A, B, and C through your nine syndications. Lexington is technically the South, but close to the Midwest as well. You're in North Carolina, you're in Texas, you're in A, B, and C class multifamily, and you guys are diversifying into self-storage and mobile homes, at least on the limited partner side. How have you been financing these deals? Were you going in in October of 21 with long-term fixed rate debt? Were you guys getting bridge debt? We did bridge debt for eight of those syndications. We did bridge debt. And like I said earlier, we've been able to enact the business plan fast enough to stay ahead of the interest rate increase for properties. I will say that because of the October 21 purchase being the first purchases, those rate caps are getting ready to expire at the end of the year. So what's the best version to get out of that? Are they almost ready to sell? Well, I think that the cap rates may have decompressed a little too much for that to be an effective exit strategy at the moment. But we could go back in, either refinance or a new rate cap. We have a reserve set aside for all of that stuff. We prepared along the way to make sure that we had a good business plan. I'll say right towards the end of 21, we saw the fact that this was all going to come about and we just didn't know how long it was going to be. I do regret not buying a three-year back when you could buy them for under 100000 a three-year rate cap that is. But hindsight's 2020, let's move forward and be successful in how the project works. I think we have an opportunity to add a lot of value here, Chris, recognizing that this may be a sensitive subject, all things considered. I know a lot of people in the syndication space, especially within commercial multifamily, who are very concerned about what's going to happen, primarily limited partners. There are more limited partners than general partners, but I'm hearing a lot of concern about what's going to happen when rate caps expire. We had the best ever conference this March. We're recording in May of 2023. So two months ago, we were all at a best ever conference where everyone was talking about capital calls and general partners without the stomach to do a capital call giving up properties to the bank when they weren't going to be able to refinance when their rate cap expired. Again, recording in May of 2023, this hasn't happened for any of your properties yet. You've already mentioned maintaining solid reserves. What else have you done and are you doing currently to be prepared for the financing events that are going to happen at the end of this year? One thing, you know, nobody wants to hear it is stop distributions. If you're not sure how much the interest rates are going to continue to go up, how much of the rate caps are going to be, which nobody knows that six, eight, 12 months out still, stop your distributions, start reserving your cash. The other thing that we're doing is we're focusing on revenue generating CapEx projects. Maintain the property, of course, but we want to make sure that we're hitting the high impact, high revenue type things. If, if it's interiors, do some interiors. If you've got some new plan to reserve parking or something that's not on your property already, take care of it at the cheapest amount that you can. 
improve it and build it out so you can get that revenue generation going. The other is Wi-Fi, bringing Wi-Fi onto a property if you don't already have it. But one thing I do want to say is we're in multiple masterminds, and in one of them, somebody was talking about having a problem, and their rate cap is coming due at the end of June. They started a capital call at the beginning of the month, and I asked them for their information, their T12 and rent rolls. So here's a little secret that I came up with on the side is if the general partnership is the only portion affected and it doesn't affect the LPs, then you can bring on another partner who's willing to come in and pay that rate cap fee if you're willing to give up some of your general partnership equity. So that's just another option to look at. Again, not legal, not a CPA. Please check on this stuff for me. I do realize that the cash being brought in, there has to be some sort of payback to them, whether it's it is a loan or as geared as equity in the deal. But if you're doing a capital call, you're already liquidating some people. If there's people who aren't willing to put in the money and they're going to decrease their ownership share, then you can provide that ownership share back out to that new equity partner. But it doesn't have to be preferred equity or mezzanine debt. It can actually be somebody buying their way into your partnership on a deal that's already working. Like it's almost a no-brainer to do it if you've got the funds and capital able to do it. We haven't had that issue on our property. This is something that I offered up to somebody else. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Chris, that last piece of what you said makes a lot of sense that when you're looking at a situation where paying for an extended rate cap or a new rate cap is going to be costly and required for the execution of your business plan that you can give up a piece of the pie for the capital required. That makes a lot of sense. And I don't think we're crossing the boundary of giving legal or professional or tax advice here, just speaking about it in those general terms. 
more specifically a summary of what it is that you are doing. First, within your general partnerships, is Upplex the general partnership for your nine syndications or are you co-GP with other syndicators? We are co-GP with other syndicators. We have found our own deals and we were the people who put together the team for some of our syndications. We are open to other partnerships. And in those nine syndications, we've brought on 12 new syndicators to help teach them the process, give them their start, and we're not afraid to continue to do that. So within your syndications, Chris, you said that one of the first things that you all did at Upplex is pause distributions in order to build reserves so that those reserves could be deployed for the sake of restructuring the financing on those two properties that you first acquired later this year. Explaining any other steps that you have already taken or are currently taking? Other steps that I'm currently taking to build those reserves? Are there other preventative measures that you're taking currently in order to make sure that the financing events that will occur later this year go as smoothly as possible for you and your investors? We've done a couple of things. Number one, when I said stop your distributions, be have open communication with your investors that this is what's happening and this is why. And the other thing that I'll say, as far as other things that we're doing, have open communication with your lenders so that they know what's going on, what your plans are, what you're thinking about for down the road. You should always be looking six and 12 and 15 months down the road today to make sure that you're going to be in the right place. We're re-underwriting our deals every month in new data. We're re-underwriting our deals to make sure that we're still ahead of the game. And if we're not, okay, what's going on? And I think every asset manager goes back through the T12 to compare it across the board to make sure that everything's trending in the right direction. If it's not, then you should be, and you should be asking your property management, where's the issue? What's going on? You should be in good, constant communication with them to ensure that that business plan is growing, that the NOI is going up, the revenue is going up, and you're maintaining or decreasing expenses. It's asset management 101, but I'll say asset management 101 on steroids, because you really have to be extra vigilant to make the property perform right now. This is where the good asset managers are going to come through on the other side doing really well. And then the ones that aren't, they're just there holding a position. They don't really pay attention, I guess I'll say. Those are the ones that are going to lose their properties or lose their shirts when they have to go and sell it because they can't afford the stuff. I think there's another angle on this question that we haven't approached, Chris. First of all, thank you for your openness thus far. I don't want to get too caught in the specifics of your individual deals, but thank you for sharing what you have. Sure. You bought two-year rate caps on your bridge debt when you acquired your first two syndications. And I'm not asking about the hold period here. How long were your value-add business plans for each of those properties? Meaning at what point were you going to achieve that optimized NOI that wasn't just waiting on market rent appreciation, but the actual things that you could execute on to increase revenue and decrease expenses. How long was your projection on each of those two-year rate cap properties for how long that would take? And how long did it take or has it taken or is it currently taking with those properties? I love it. In general, we will try to have our business plan completed and start the stabilization process by the two-year mark, if not sooner. 
So I don't want to lock in. We were going to do things for 12 months because that's not possible. You're looking to renovate interior units. You have to have a cycle to be able to process those people out or get new people in and be able to perform your renovations that you want to do. But in general, I'll say it's two years that we'll give to do anything on the interiors or exteriors. You should be able to get done mostly in year one. And that allows you for year three to have that opportunity to refinance because now you have the strongest T12 that you'll ever see from the time of ownership. You should have the strongest T12 because you'll have the max revenue. You should have the minimum expenses and you're not doing more CapEx projects. You're not doing more upgrades. You're not doing as many turnovers because you've already vetted all the people that are in the property along the way. They're good paying people. You're able to get rid of the delinquencies. When you take over a property, there's a ton of evictions and stuff that have to happen because the seller doesn't want to lose occupancy. So I hate to go down a different rabbit hole on that one, but in the overall, the quick answer is 24 months is usually our time before we'll start that stabilization process on the renovations and stuff. Chris, that makes a lot of sense with regards to the outflow of money, spending your budget on capital expenditures, renovations, starting your stabilization process in two years. Asking the question again in another way, how far down the line are you expecting your NOI, your net operating income to be optimized? When is it that you're expecting to have market rate paying tenants in 95-ish percent of your apartments? That's a great question. Probably say in the neighborhood of the end of year two, early year three. And what I will say is in our underwriting, we only ever write to a 90%. So if the deal works, we know it's going to work, right? On our underwriting paperwork. The reality is, yes, you want 92, 95% occupancy, but we always leave ourselves a little buffer in our underwriting. So that's why it's a little harder to think through that question of where do we feel that it is. Even through year five, we never actually have it underwritten at 95% occupancy, if that makes sense. We always leave ourselves an extra buffer no matter what the market is. Chris, it does make sense. And if this were an hour-long style podcast interview instead of a 25 to 30-minute podcast, we could dive into this further. But I think the point I was trying to get at is, will your NOI be optimized by the time that your cost of debt increases? And the reason why that's where I was going is that if you're bringing in fully stabilized NOI, you have a larger buffer there to cover the increased cost of debt. And it sounds like those things are going to line up relatively similarly with regards to when you have market paying butts in seats and your cost of debt increases to make sure that you're not falling behind the cash flow eight ball. On that note, Chris, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's go. Yeah. What is the best ever book you recently read? I have to say Rocket Fuel by Gina Wickham. That just defines the roles and it helps you realize if you've got the right partners and stuff like that, that you can move faster. Are you the visionary or the integrator, Chris? I'm the integrator. My wife's the visionary. I was going to say, you were telling me beforehand that a 26 and a half year career in the Navy, the fact that you put the half year on it made me think I'm much more of a visionary. I round off all numbers. What is your best ever way to give back? Our mission is to provide medical and community outreach programs to underdeveloped areas. Specifically, my wife is from Mexico and where her grandmother lives is a very remote area. There's not a whole lot of medical care. So we would like to bring some medical care and, and help 
whether it's carpentry work or things like that, skilled labor out there to try to help them with some of the home repairs that maybe they can otherwise do. But in the meantime, we actually found an organization that distributes wheelchairs. And we have done four missions with them where we've probably handed out close to a thousand wheelchairs in the last eight months. So we're really excited to be able to build a relationship with them. And they even already said, when you guys get your stuff going at her grandmother's area where she passed, but we still want to get back to that community. He said, let us know. We'll bring a shipping container out for you. That's awesome. So we're excited. Chris, thus far in your commercial real estate investing, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I hate to say this, but we didn't vet our partners well enough up front. So the lesson learned was to dig a little deeper, spend a little more time, do in-person, not just Zoom calls, really get to know people. One of our mentors actually said, ask them for their financials, see what they actually have. Because if you're going into partnership with somebody, you really do need to know they truly stand on everything. And a lot of us have a background with having landlorded or working property management and stuff. We understand a background check. Do a credit check. There's nothing wrong with it. And if somebody's not willing to do that, then you don't need to partner with them anyways. And on that note, what is your best ever advice? Having said that, <laughs> the best ever advice is if you want to grow, you need to find partnerships. If you go it alone, you're going to go low and slow. It doesn't matter what it is. You're encapsulated in only what your knowledge level is and what knowledge you're willing to go out and pick up, whatever education you're willing to pick up. But if you bring in partners that you know, like, and trust, have some rapport with, and you appreciate their input, you can go so much further and do much bigger projects. Originally, we were looking at three and $6 million deals to syndicate because that's what we felt like we could handle. Our first two deals were 23 million and 26 million because we we're part of a larger partnership of people who could help bring in the extra things that were needed, whether it was cash or asset management, boots on the ground. Because one was in Austin, one was in Houston. We're in Austin. So teamwork is something you'll hear almost everybody talk about in the syndication world. Where can our listeners get in touch with you? Easiest way to get a hold of me is on Instagram at popsrei. P-O-P-S-R-E-I. That link is in the show notes. Chris, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.